Okay, so there's good news and bad news. The good news is that lots of people have got jobs. But the bad news for the markets is that lots of people have got jobs because of job numbers came out. The job numbers, more people have jobs. And so the markets reacted when the NASDAQ went down, started to recover now. Bitcoin is holding steady. So that's a, that's a good sign. And I wonder if um, by Bitcoin holding steady, it means that maybe the worst is over for crypto. That's one of the things we're going to be discussing here today. We've also got a very, very, very big show. We're going to talk about the future of Solana. We're going to talk about SPF. We're going to talk about potentially another big player that could fall in crypto and what the implications of that may be. And then remember that portfolio that we made earlier this week? The one that we're giving away five of those portfolios. Well, today's Friday. And we are bantering today, and I've got uh, four, three, sorry, three portfolio practitioners. Okay, so they they qualified portfolio practitioners. That's what they do, and they're going to look at the portfolio and tell us whether it's a good portfolio, whether it's a bad portfolio. So it's Friday. Let's get out of bed, guys. Fuck out of bed, bitch, go. Many of you are now saying you hate the song. It's so annoying. There's another part of you that are saying, yeah, B. Carter says hate the song. So annoying. But then the rest of you are saying still loving the intro. So I'm so confused. We're a crypto show. We shouldn't be starting with a guy dancing around in a gown. But we do. We do. We do. Anyway, welcome back, guys. Uh, the best community in the world. For those of you who are with us through the night last night, I mean, look, I think the spaces, we're going to talk about the Twitter spaces. But I mean, being here last night was a lot of fun. Um, I have my Sam, my SPF here. So we can talk about that. Uh, later today um so if you're new to the channel subscribe to the channel uh if you are one of the banter fam do us a big favor subscribe if you're not already subscribed like the content we are we have an internal goal here we want to get to 600,000 subscribers by the end of the year we've got 592,000 plus subscribers so what we need you to do is subscribe like this content let's get this content out there uh remember today we've got a massive show for you uh, we're going to be talking about whether the worst is over for the market, whether the signs are that the worst is over for the markets. We're going to be talking about macro and whether the worst is over for macro. We're going to be positioning our portfolios for 2023 and deciding if Solana is one of the things that we want to have in our portfolios or whether maybe it's time to take the money and put that money somewhere else. We're also going to be talking about one of the big dominoes, another big player that could fall in crypto. Um, and whether Binance is, is, is a safe place to be. So it's going to be a big show. It's a Friday. As usual, our Friday is brought to you by Nord. Our Friday banters are brought to you by NordVPN. We did have the big MetaMask news. It's actually not really big MetaMask news. And the reason why it's not really big MetaMask news is because it's not new. MetaMask, uh, MetaMask and other providers have been storing your IP addresses for a long time. Exchanges have been storing your IP addresses for a long time. And the one way that you can mask your IP address and you can truly remain anonymous is by using a VPN. Now, I've been telling you guys to use a VPN for a long, long, long time. And we partnered up with NordVPN. And the reason why we partnered up with NordVPN is because they are 
the crypto VPN. They support crypto. They sponsor shows like I said, bring you the Friday banter. Um, so if you want to get the deal, there is a deal going now for under $3 a month. You can get a NordVPN. And by doing that, you support the channel, you support the channel sponsor, and you actually protect yourself and you protect your crypto. So let's go, 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 go. All right. So this Friday, we've got Hasib. Hasib, welcome back, my friend. Good to see you, my man. We've got uh, two new guests. Uh, well, Udi, Udi Wertheimer, I'm sure you all know him. Uh, hey, what's from up? Twitter. What's up? And we got Tom from Delphi. Tom, welcome. What's going on, guys? Thanks for having me. Great. Good to see you guys. Good to see you guys. So listen, there's lots to talk about. I think quickly, 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 let's talk about the macro because macro is the kind of thing where we have to talk about it, but no one really cares about it anymore. Um, or I don't know, should we care about macro um, given that the crypto markets have been smashed so hard and it looks like macro is kind of recovering now. We had Powell come out uh, the other night. Uh, I want to just play you a quick snippet from what he said. This is the part that the market celebrated. After our November meeting, we noted that we anticipated that Ongoing rate increases will be appropriate in order to attain a policy stance that is sufficiently restrictive to move inflation down to 2% over time. Monetary policy affects the economy and inflation with uncertain lags, <clears throat> and the full effects of our rapid tightening so far are yet to be felt. Thus, it makes sense to moderate the pace of our rate increases as we approach the level of restraint that will be sufficient to bring inflation down. That's the first time that Powell's actually pivoted and said, look, we're going to be a little bit, maybe it makes sense to moderate our increases. Maybe we should reduce our rate hikes from 75 basis points and moderate slightly. And immediately after that, the probabilities of a 50 basis point rate hike in December on the 14th, when the Fed meet again, went to 77%. It was at about, it was, it was much lower than that. Today, it actually went to about 85%. And then today we got the job numbers. The job numbers were... A little bit better means that uh, 63,000 non-farm payrolls have, sorry, 263,000 non-farm payrolls were added, which means the economy is not slowing down as much as uh, the Fed wanted it to slow down. Just very quickly, do any of you have any opinions on whether we, the worst is over for macro? We've had the inflation numbers coming down. I know none of us are macroeconomists, but would love to get your views. Tom, let's go to you. Love, I just really see love power enthusiasm. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I, I, here's what I'll here's what I'll say macro-wise. So first of all, yeah, definitely none of us are macroeconomists, so we're all kind of speaking as lay people effectively. But uh, one thing, there's still a lot of capital that's offsides. I think we're we're kind of near historic highs for institutional capital that's kind of sitting and waiting. Um, there's just there's just a lot of um, a lot of uncertainty in the markets right now. You can see that you know just a couple of days ago we had the Nasdaq go up four percent a single day just on the back of the comments that you that you recently played. Um, you know, seeing the strong labor market uh, is tough. I mean, that's it's, it's one of the things that has to come down for inflation to actually come down within the U.S. But it's also true that monetary policy, um, it's not a super fine-grained tool. It has delayed effects, especially with respect to real estate and mortgages, uh, because, of course, mortgages take time to get refinanced at, at lower rates. So um, I, I, think, I think Powell's absolutely right that, yeah, you can raise rates, and that's going to cause some things to get uh, repriced instantly, but a lot of things in, in in economy just take time to respond to interest rates, and um, they already know. You know, look, we're at four percent already, so we're pretty close to what the Fed perceives as being the terminal rate. Um, and so, I think it's wise for them to take a step back and kind of see, like, okay, what what does four percent actually do to the economy uh, before we start, you know, really ratcheting things up and, and potentially breaking things. I want to just give you some perspective before you guys comment further so i saw this today and this this was this gave me a bit of a shiver i gotta be honest 
Uh, if you take the 60-40 portfolio, which is, um, which is the mixed portfolio of 60% equities and 40% fixed income, you got the worst annual returns in the last 100 years. I mean, th- that's a serious thing. You think about the it's not like the last five years, ten years, last hundred years. We've never you've, the portfolio has never returned anything like that. So, I mean, it has been pretty brutal out there, right? Yeah, I mean, the I'm not a macro analyst at all, so, so it'll probably be wrong. But I think that when you have T bills at four and a half percent, and you're able to wire money from Coinbase to Schwab and earn three and a half or four percent for doing absolutely nothing, that is a massive vacuum on markets. And you know, I'm not going to take five, six, seven, 10, 15% risk if I can earn five, four or 5% for doing absolutely nothing. So until that abates, I think that's kind of the driving force of, you know, people just aren't going to be risk on right now. Like people are just straight up fucking wiped out. I mean, Terra, FTX, markets in general. And then you have the Fed saying, we're literally going to destroy the markets, take your money out and put it into treasuries. So it gets really hard to get a huge, like full case here for me on liquid stuff other than liquid moves faster than uh, or crypto moves faster than equities. And maybe we bought them a couple of months prior, but which probably is happening, but I just, just not comfortable yet because I don't see the catalyst. Rudy, any views on the, on the macro? Yeah, I'm, I'm the furthest away on this panel from being a, a macro expert, but uh, I, I will say that, you know, it, it, it seems like we've taken in crypto, we've taken so many beatings in the last few weeks that, um, Maybe finally the uh, uh, you know the decoupling prophecy is finally coming true. Probably not the way we wanted it to, but um, it's it the seems like are continuing it, until yeah. morale improves. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you were you were around you were around in you've been around for a lot of the the bear markets, the bull markets. You were around in 2017. I think the quantums here are much bigger. Uh, I think the failures are much bigger in in size. But I want to remind you of something in 2017, 2018. In 2017 and 2018, when the markets collapsed, the big question was, is crypto going to be a thing? Will crypto survive? Mm-hmm. Will anybody ever use crypto? Ethereum is this thing that doesn't really work and has high gas fees and it had just been crashed, crashed by crypto kitties. And at that point, <laughs> everyone declared Ethereum dead because uh, an application with cats destroyed it. There were some believers that Bitcoin would work, but I remember going through 18, 19, and even the beginning of 20 going, am I really in the right industry? The feeling that I get now is that everybody knows that crypto is going to be a thing. It's institutionalized, fidelity, banks, et cetera. And that this is just a deleveraging and a cleaning out of, of the riffraff. Um, now, I know it's very hard to go back to emotion that you felt many years ago, but what do you think has been scarier? Being around in eight, 17 and 18, or 19 or being around now and watching this quantum i can tell you personally what has been easier so it's been it's been easier for me in 2018 to and you know before that and and honestly in 2014 too to see everyone saying well uh bitcoin is dead and then crypto is dead and everything is dead and it'll never gonna rise up again for me it was easy to counter that and and say well it's not dead you know now it's just not that easy because <laughs> because that's not what people are saying anymore, you know. So it's 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 a little more nuanced, um, and and I, I definitely agree. We're, crypto is not going to disappear, um, but you know, it's I feel like it's not as easy of a bet right now as it was back then. 
Are you maybe not, it will be later. I don't are you know. not more bullish now? Are you not more bullish now? I, I, I don't know why, but I, I seem to be that I'm much more bullish now than I was in 2018, 19. It just feels much easier for me. I will, I will, I will say that I, I totally agree with you that I think that it's obvious now that it's not going away. Um, so in that sense, yes. But um, are we supposed to take some more beatings before we go on? I'm not, I don't know. We might. Uh, so one thing I'll say, so we've, we've spent a lot of time with our LPs since the FTX blow up. And, you know, honestly, if you, if you rewind to a month ago, right, it's been, it's been, I think it was November 6th that all the craziness at FTX started. If you rewind to a month ago and you told me, you know, amid everything that was happening macro-wise, that we were just about to uncover a massive fraud going on at the number four exchange in the world, that this would be a giant black eye for the whole industry, like $8 billion would be missing, Genesis was going to blow up, BlockFi was going to go bankrupt, and ETH was going to be at, you know, 1200 1300 and Bitcoin was going to be at 17K. I'd be like, you're out of your mind. Like, of course not. That's, there's, no, there's no way. Ether is going zero. to 800. Yeah, exactly. Like, Bitcoin is going to like 10K. Like, this is, this is going to be a disaster. Slow down. Slow down a we're Slow not down. there. Slow down a second. Yeah. I would have told you a month ago. A month. So what is the day today? Today is this. If I, would, if I would have come to you on the 2nd of December and I would have said to you, okay, this is how the next month plays out. You yeah. know Sam Bankman-Fried, who's the, the blue-eyed boy of crypto? Well, he's going to be proved to be a scammer. His exchange is going to be completely insolvent. The one who's going to, the one who's going to call him out is BitBoy Crypto. So, <laughs> <laughs> the one so the guy that's going to call him out is this guy. No, this is the most So the guy that's going to call him out is Bitboy. And, and the way that he's going to do it is he's going to go and stalk him yeah. in his house at the Bahamas. Okay. With a camera crew. Okay. What would you have said to me on the second, on the second of, <laughs> you know, actually we don't, we don't have to guess because I actually had this exact conversation with a few friends before everything blew up because, you know, there are whisperings about, you know, is FTX going to blow up? And my opinion was that it's extremely unlikely that FTX is a, is a scam, you know, and that they almost certainly have the funds and that withdrawals will probably be processed fine. But so I was, you know, I, this is a quote, actually. I said something like, you know, I'm, I, I would say there's less than 1% chance that this, this goes bad and that it's actually a scam. But if it is, we're done. <laughs> so it's over. We're going to like Bitcoin to 5K and ETH to, to you know, $200 and, and it's over. And, and we'll, let's talk again in 10 years. And I agree with Hasib. It, it did not turn up that bad so far, you know. So I guess maybe that's maybe that's a, a ray of light, you know. I mean, is that, that maybe is that maybe because, as Andrew Kang says, we might have a pocket of retard strength in the market. <laughs> <laughs> 
If a holder wouldn't sell after Luna, Celsius, 3RS Capital, FTX, Genesis, then basically you're not selling. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's well known and some of us are, never, are literally never going to sell, right? <laughs> so no. I, I guess you can call us that. To- Go back to the, your discussions with LPs after FTX, and then Tom, I'm coming to you. Yeah, so I, I mean, I sort of expected after the FTX blow up that I was going to go to LPs, and they were going to tell me like, "What the hell did you get me into? What is this industry? Why did you tell me to buy this stuff?" And I, I assumed, which is kind of what everybody assumed, was that this was such a black eye for the industry that people were now back to the point where it was before 2020 when investing in crypto for an institutional investor was taking career risk. And when institutional investors take career risk, that means they get the hell out. Um, And that's not what we heard from our investors. For the most part, what we heard from investors is like, wow, this was crazy. Like, I'm really glad you guys didn't invest. We're we're not investors in FTX. I'm glad you guys didn't do that. Um, But uh, yeah, like we get the crypto. So like, clearly this is not about crypto. This is about this dude. And this like crazy polycule in the Bahamas, um, but almost nobody who's who understands the crypto story feels like wow. Well, this is what I was betting on. I was betting on this one guy, this one company, this one thing. Um, and so people, I, I, I'm surprised that you see the statements that were made by um, you know Tomasek, which is the sovereign wealth fund that it was the one of the largest checks into FTX. They were basically like, look, yeah, we're still you know we still believe in. Blockchain still believe in crypto. We're not going to back off just because we do this. And they've they've done a bunch of direct deals into crypto uh, beyond that. And they're one of the biggest institutional investors in the world. Um, you see the same thing from JP Morgan. You see the same thing from you know all of these institutions that have. That, you know, look, there's some that were fair weather friends. They dipped their toes in and they got bit. Um, I feel bad for all the Canadian pensions because they keep just getting destroyed doing these deals in crypto. <laughs> but uh, but most of them, from my conversations, um, people are are surprisingly thoughtful about how they're internalizing what happened with FTX. So it's a, it's a blow for the industry, no doubt, but it's nowhere near as bad as I originally thought it was, you know, in the week of the collapse. Yeah, I must say, I was, in, I was uh, at the Solana Breakpoint conference when this whole thing went down. We saw the most incredible developers, the most incredible community, and I saw the most incredible progress on blockchain, like re- real-world brands, Instagram, ASICs coming in, integrations, bunch of very passionate developers building stuff i must say like i remember i thought to myself like wow i'm starting to feel like ethereum type early days ethereum type energy on solana which is like it's quite unique you know like ethereum had a very unique energy of smart people and money being thrown around and an ideology and whatever else i started to feel that and then i won't forget we were dancing at the closing party ben boma was playing and it's like the most it was, it was incredible. It was the most incredible music and most incredible closing party. But as that was happening, the price of Solana dipped under 30 bucks and this whole thing was unfolding. And I thought, like, is this the closing party for Solana or is this the closing party for Solana? Breakpoint? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, Tom, Tom, I'm going to come to you. And I, I want to say that I know you guys were super bullish on, on Luna earlier this year and a lot of the Delphi investments, ecosystem, et cetera, was on Luna. So you guys have, you know, you guys have weathered the storm. You guys are fighting back really hard interested to understand you know your thinking around everything yeah um i we had a couple associates at solana breakpoint and it's actually it's ironic to bring it up because the messages we were getting were you know this is the best developer conference that they've ever been to and the just it just was a crazy dichotomy between the amount of dev talent and teams building there and then seeing kind of 
Solana, that you know, kind of semi blow up with everything going on with FTX was was really kind of tough. And you know, we got on DD calls with a lot of these teams after Breakpoint, and like they didn't really care about this, right? They just wanted to keep building, and we had to keep telling them, like, you know, this might be a a serious issue for you um, going forward. And you know, have you looked at other chains, or, or what are your options? And you know, it was kind of sad to to you know have those conversations to begin with. But uh, yeah, I, I guess on the FTX stuff. Um, I don't think it's over yet. Um, I mean, you have a lot of teams that had their treasuries on FTX. You have a lot of funds that are just straight up wiped out. Uh, you know, Ikigai is one, like Travis is an amazing guy. And to see that happen is, is really hard. And a lot of other funds that happen to too. And that takes a lot of time. I mean, those LPs are not going to allocate to a crypto fund anytime soon, right? Whether they think FTX is a fraud or, or not, right? Even though it is like those projects are all screwed. Like they're done. Like you can't just, you know, issue new tokens and this goes away, right? Like some can, but most can't. And a lot of teams, uh, and so a lot of teams and then funds also employed a bunch of people who are just going to say, fuck this. Like I, I just go back to my web top. So yeah, I don't, I think the, the shock value is over, but no, I think, I think we have three, six, nine months of like convincing people to come back. Great. So I want to quickly draw a parallel for you with 2017, 2018. In 2017 and 2018, a lot of projects did their ICOs in ETH. I don't know if you remember that, but in order to participate in the ICOs, you had to pay in ETH, and that was a way for them not to go through the, regulatory, the, the right regulatory process. And then I'll remind you that most projects also thought it was a great idea to hold their treasuries in ETH. And then ETH collapsed, and when ETH collapsed, ETH collapsed hard. And the, you, you can kind of draw real parallels here because a lot of um, projects' runways were... Were, were destroyed in Ethereum, and Ethereum collapsed in, eight, in 18. And this time, a lot of project runways are, are destroyed by FTX. That doesn't mean that the industry is over. In fact, the industry rebuilt within two years. We had DeFi, we had NFTs, we had everything else. And so the reason why I say that is because I've, I think, I've, for me, it feels like I've seen this before. I think there were some projects that were negligent, leaving tra entire treasuries on FTX. I think, uh, you know, I, th I think... Look, I think Travis is a great guy. I think Multicoin are amazing people. But when you tell me that 30% of your fund is sitting on a centralized exchange, it doesn't make me feel very good about, about uh, you know, your level of risk management. And you know, to me, when you have, unless it's a hedge fund, which is consistently, consistently, or quant fund, which is consistently, consistently trading, you know, to me, it's like, well, why did you as a fund who's got responsibilities to LPs um, have such big amounts of capital on exchange? Like, we've got to ask those tough questions, no? Well, look, I don't think it's fair to try to put a, sorry, to try to put a trading firm on blast unless you actually know what the strategy was. Yeah. So I, I don't know that much about what Ikigai was doing, but, you know, they're a head fund. So it's not strange for them to have a big portion of their capital on a single exchange. Um, it depends on what the strategy was, depends on what they told their LPs they were doing. The, when, when you're looking at a fund, the question is, did they tell their LPs what they were doing and did they, did they follow what they promised their LPs they would do? Um, if, if the answer is yes, then, you know, it sucks. It's unfortunate, but like everybody who's in the, in the investing industry is in the, is in the business of taking risks. One of the most obvious risks in crypto is counterparty risk, which is the counterparty being the exchange. Um, mm. If you're willing to play on, I mean, look, F, FTX, like, you know, I was there with Udi at the same time, you know, that week uh, when I saw the, um, the, the leak of the, Alameda balance sheet from Coindesk, I thought it was a giant nothing burger. I, I didn't think that it had anything to do with FTX. So they're like, okay, well, CZ is going to punish Alameda. That's very too bad for Alameda, but who really cares? Like, what does that have to do with anything? 
And I had no idea that this was coming. Almost nobody had any idea that this was coming. Uh, so I don't think even CZ had an idea this was coming. So yeah. I don't think it's it's I don't think it's fair to you know point fingers at a fund that loses money on the exchange. Like I think it, I think it's just terrible. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree, but I just, yeah, I just think it's, okay, yeah, maybe, maybe I don't know the full picture. Tom, there's, a, there's another point about, about teams, though, about projects that had their, their treasuries on, on FTX, teams that were not supposed to trade those funds, you know, and those funds were supposed to hold them for, as, you know, for the long term for building their business. Um, that's maybe a little more concerning. And, and it, there are also, you know, there are at least some rumors coming out that, that in, in many cases that might have been part of the term sheet for investment from either Alameda or FTX, um, that they kind of forced founders to have their treasuries on FTX. And if that's true, I don't know if it is, but if that's true, that's sticky. Um, that's a sticky I situation. Confirm, I, can confirm, I can confirm that we worked with a project that was told to do something similar. Um, I also think what I tweeted earlier this week is I said there's a lot of projects that are telling us that, you know, they had a lot of funds locked up on FTX and it's become like the excuse for maybe not delivering or not being able to deliver. We had funds on FTX. We're out. Tom, I want to quickly go to you and talk about Solana because you mentioned something. You said like you told a lot of the projects or you asked a lot of the projects, have you considered building on other chains and stuff like that? Now the dust is settled. I guess we kind of know where we are. We know what tokens are sitting with Alameda. We know that Multicoin Capital, which is one of the big Solana proponents, has taken a bit of a beating and a bit of a, a bit of a hit. And I'm wondering what your views are around the Solana chain now. Now that this dust has started to settle and we've, we're starting to like you know look at Solana and go, okay, you know there is a lot of activity. There's a lot of NFT activity. There's a lot of transactions. In fact, it's. Uh, under BSC chain, it's the highest number of active addresses per day. Wondering what your thesis is on Solana going forward. Yeah, um, I mean, it, honestly, on the question we ask teams, I mean, we ask teams every, we ask every team the same question: like, why have you picked this L1? What does this do for your project? Why do you have to be here? Like, we want thoughtful answers, like on a technical level, not just you know we're here for money or we're here because we like the founders or anything like that. Like. The, so we ask all the teams uh, that question and they should all have a backup answer, right? You know, we can easily pivot to Z or we can't or we can and, and kind of why. But look, I don't know if everyone agrees, but I don't think Solana is going anywhere. Um, I think they've built a pretty solid ecosystem. I think that they're attracting some really strong people to help build out the next level of the tech side. And I'm honestly not too queued up on what that is. But I mean, having like Firedance around and jump focus on this and new clients, I think is pretty solid. So yeah, I don't, I don't think Solana's going anywhere. I also just love Tolly. I think he's one of the chillest founders of crypto. And, you know, it doesn't get discussed as much, but having a likable founder is pretty important. And uh, I think Tolly's a good dude. Yeah, uh, Udi, I'm keen to hear your view. I mean, we haven't really aligned on any blockchain-related things. The last time we had coffee in Israel, you were strictly Bitcoin. You told me that there is no need to have anything else off a database other than Bitcoin. I will never forget that. And I <laughs> yep. tried to say, look, there may be, let's, it's, we're early, it's an experiment. We don't know what's I remember what you told me. You told me, but, but Udi, what if, what if, what if self-driving cars would need to be aware of each other? Don't they need a smart contract on, on Ethereum? And I was like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I changed my tune since then a little bit. But um, um, I mean, you know, I think that, that Solana is, what you would hope is that Solana will be, you know, what Ethereum was in the last crypto winter and, and will probably take some beatings. And, but 
you know, the community will come come out of it strong and, and it can be, you know, a kind of a uniting event for both developers and, and just general supporters of Solana. Um, so you would hope that it will turn out the same way. I would assume that they need, they would need to, you know, probably find uh, someone to, to buy some soul off of, of Alameda if they still have it. And, you know, some kind of, those kind of things will have to be taken care of in one way or another. It's not going to be easy, but, um, but isn't that painful for a while, but, but after that, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful because I've been to Breakpoint too. And I, I thought that it's been pretty amazing. I thought that it's really, it seems like a strong community and it's sad that they're going to have to go through this now. But if I think if anyone can, it's probably these, these guys. So I think the market prices in all the information that's public. And I think public information, everyone knows about this overhang of Solana on the market. Everyone knows what Alameda got. We don't know what Alameda is still holding, but we know what Alameda's got. So I think that's pretty much priced in. That's maybe what took the price from $36 to $13, which is one third of the price of an already, you know, reduced price. Um, I mean, look, I, I don't know how you guys feel about... Um, uh, uh, what's it called? What, what's the, the the Facebook chain called? The new one, the Aptos. Aptos. So, but they've got a pretty much a very similar fully diluted market cap. Like if you look at Solana and you look at Aptos now, there's not much in, in it from a fully diluted market cap point of view. Aptos maybe good tech. Community wise, I don't know. I haven't met the Aptos community yet. They're definitely not in the chat. There's definitely not an, uh, an Aptos army. Um, so to me, it just feels like Solana is just cheap. I don't know. I just can't help thinking that Solana is cheap. So one, a couple of cents that I'd put in here, like, I think it's important to disaggregate when you're, when you're looking at a blockchain, because the blockchain, like you, you throw a, a conference and it feels like, okay, there's one thing, that one thing is Solana, but Solana is a lot of different kind of sub communities, right? So there's DeFi on Solana. DeFi on Solana has gotten absolutely killed. They got killed earlier this year, even before FTX blew up. DeFi on Solana was really, really struggling. We had the mango markets attack. Uh, volumes were going down. TVL was going down. It was already below a billion dollars TVL when FTX blew up, going down from a very high base where they were one of the highest TVL chains at the beginning of the year. Um, and then, of course, you know, FTX was at the center of Serum, which was the crown jewel of Solana DeFi. And Serum now is basically defunct. Uh, in their own words, they're defunct. Um, and they're now moving off. And I think, I think it's going to be very, very hard for Solana to come back with respect to DeFi, because so much confidence in DeFi has been has been shattered on, on Solana. Now that being said, you know if you look at games and you look at uh, NFTs on Solana, NFTs are still pretty strong. Games, I think, have, have been up and down. I think there's been some uh, a lot of lost momentum there. But a lot of the reason why I think for games in particular it's been tough is because, like you said, a lot of these games are being funded by FTX and by Alameda, and a lot of the games in particular. I've heard from one of the entrepreneurs in my portfolio. A huge portion of the founders that, that they have seen who have lost money, wiped out because of the FTX blow up were gaming founders because gaming founders don't know that much about how to custody their own crypto. Uh, they're much more likely to keep their money on exchanges. And a lot of them, because they took money directly from FTX, it was sort of part of a handshake deal that, hey, you keep your funds on exchange. So, mm -hmm. so that's, that's, that's one side. It's important to understand the difference. NFT people are mostly fine. NFT people are still doing their thing. Um, I think it's, it's, you know, it, it, it's never good when prices go down because all these things are price and soul. But, you know, all in all, like it doesn't really affect you that much, right? Like NFT Twitter was still NFT Twitter the day after FTX blew up. Let's, let's, just, let's just narrow down the discussion and say 20, where the date is now uh, 
2nd December 2024. Is Solana a top 10 coin or isn't it? I mean, that's let's just let's just go there and just get to the point. Is Solana still a top 10 coin or isn't it? Um, and I mean, just, just for reference, this we can look at the top 10 coins today, Bitcoin, Ethereum. Let's ignore Tether, uh, BNB chain. Let's ignore the, 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 you've got XRP, Dogecoin, Cardano, Polygon, Polkadot. Um, and so it's not a top 10 coin right now. It's, okay, let's say, is it a top 20 coin? In uh, <laughs> two, two years from now, is it a top 20 coin? Man, I didn't realize I'm surprised it was called 18. Yeah, I mean Solana. Solana has taken a beating, and look, a large a large part of the reason why this beating is there is not just because okay, you know, Alameda is an overhang. Like, who who cares? Like, the reason why Solana has taken such a beating is that FTX and Sam were so central to the Solana story, because it's not just about it's not just about having a charismatic figure either. It's not just oh, Sam's tweeting about stuff, whatever. It's also about a distribution engine. FTX had aligned itself with Solana. If you were launching a token on Solana, where are you going to get listed now? Who's going to list SPL tokens for some random game, right? Like so FTX was the place where these things found price discovery, where these things, where normal retail could interact with the Solana ecosystem. Uh, that's just much harder now. And that's being priced into where Solana is being priced is just a pure L1. It's much closer right. to standing on equal footing with any other L1 of just how good's the tech? What applications can I play around with? Like what, what is actually there on the chain as opposed to what it was before, which is the number four exchange, which is the darling of... The, the you know the, the sort of the U.S. crypto ecosystem uh, loves you and is going to do everything they can to to make you win. Okay, so yes or no to the top twenty in top twenty coin in two years? I would say yes. I think it's I think it's likely that they'll still be in the yes top twenty. Or no. I I would say yes too. Um, obviously, not financial advice before my lawyers kill me. Steve, you're probably in the same boat. But yeah. the, the other thing that I'd probably point to is you know. I see you brought up a really good point that Sam and Alameda was central to Solana. And the other thing is just like ventures due diligence. Like when you have a fund that's automatically going to say yes to projects without doing real DD, that creates an ecosystem of projects that really isn't that battle tested. You know, like when, when funds go to projects, there's days to some real due diligence that going on. Like what the hell are you building? Why? Who's going to build it? Do you have the money? All these things, the legal docs, everything makes sense. But when you have a, you know, hey, we're closing this round in 24 hours and your funds have to be on FTX and uh, good luck, you know, that creates an ecosystem of really rough projects. So I think there's some some cleanup to be done there, but I, I do think Solana will be a top 20 coin for sure. Look, I must say, Chris Berniski is someone that I've always respected in the space. Uh, he's written, I think, I know for sure he's written one book, which I read over, I think it was 2017. It was one of the first books on altcoins, if I'm not mistaken. And he's been very active in the space and one of the voices that I really, really respect in the space. And he's comparing this event to Solana with the ETH collapse or the price collapse of ETH in 2018. And he said, look, he says, strongly believe that Solana is healthier without SPF. With his following, he was raising uh, it to, to uh, he, he was raising part of, sorry, he was part of raising it relevance. But Alameda became a tumor of the community of community extraction, which would have hampered network growth had it continued. Now the tumor has been extracted a lying accelerated healing. That's his his view. I must say that I, I think that's a little it's a little sanguine to say that okay, Alameda is this tumor. Like yes, Alameda was extracted, right? They would go on chain, they would farm and dump stuff, they were kind of ruthless uh liquidity miners, but they were not the only one, right? If you if you do a liquidity mining program, if Alameda doesn't come and farm and dump, somebody else will come and farm and dump. Right. Like that that's how markets work. There are enough hedge funds in the space now that it, it may have been true last year. That if Alameda wasn't doing it, nobody would be doing it. It's not true anymore today. 
Okay, so I mean, speaking of this, I want to get your views on um, is his name Avi Eisenberg or Avram Eisenberg? Uh, <laughs> Avi, Avi. I think he just goes Avi. by Avi now. Avi, okay. he's become so, a main wanna, character. This is the guy who is. He sounds like he's a game. He's an applied game theorist. <laughs> I don't know what you call this guy. Is he an attacker? That's amazing. Is he a stress tester of DeFi? Uh, he was the guy that hacked Mango Markets, which wasn't a hack. He claims it was fully legal. He just found a, a way to manipulate it based on exactly how the contract works. He, I don't know if you want to say attacked Curve last week. He did something to Curve. Curve went down. Curve went down. Curve, Ave, Ave. Uh, and Curve. And Curve. He attacked. There was an attack on Curve where the price of Curve went down to almost... He manipulated the price of Curve. Yeah, manipulated the price of yeah. Curve, attacked Ave. Attack, yeah, exactly. Um, good thing or bad thing in the industry? I mean, like some people are saying he's stress testing crypto to the max, it's which needs happen. to be... Other people good are saying... It's going to happen. So yeah, I would say, yeah. I would say good. Yeah, I think it's good. Sorry, I, yeah, yeah, I don't know if everyone would agree. Superhero, legend, or cancer? Cancer, but you need some <laughs> cancer, right? If you don't have any cancer at all, then like your immune system gets weak. So it's like- Still being need, good? Exactly. Yeah. Well, you, well, no, no, look, he's an asshole, but yeah. it's really important that somebody is out there being an asshole, so you become asshole resistant. Yeah, Udi I mean, was Wouldn't it be great if someone did Udi that to FTX? In 2017, in 2017 Udi was that. <laughs> and now he got old and someone else needs to be the asshole. Udi, Udi's still an asshole. What are you talking about? A lot of energy. What did that change? <laughs> <laughs> but wouldn't it, wouldn't it have been great if someone had done that to FTX back when FTX was a 100 million company and not a 30 billion? Like that, you know, true, wouldn't that Luna. save all of us a lot of pain? Or if someone did it to Luna before Luna got to... Yeah, billions and billions and billions of dollar market. So I must say, I see him very much as a hero. I, I see it like, I mean, I know that a lot of people lost money in the mango markets exploits, and I know some people were, were got the money back and whatever else. And I know that in his games, in his games, people are losing money, but ultimately, I think he's doing a great job stress testing uh, a lot of DeFi applications. I mean, look, I think like the mango markets attack feels very different uh, than what he just did with, with Ave. Um, with Ave, he gave the entire community a heads up, like very far in advance of what he was doing, why he was doing it. He detailed the attack beforehand. People in the Ave forums ignored him. So I think I think what he did with Ave was much more fair game. Although, look, very clearly, do you do you it, it just, seems like he was engaging in market manipulation. There's a lot of people here who are asking, you know, what is what? What did he actually do to Ave? Do you want to summarize it? I know it's quite complicated, but if you want to just summarize it in in two six. Sure, sure, sure. So, so long story short, um, Ave basically Ave had set a bunch of risk parameters for borrowing and lending assets in the bull market at a time when liquidity was much higher, and it was a lot easier to sell big portions of the you know large amounts of CRV, large amounts of you know other assets in the in the portfolio. So basically, what Ave, what uh, Ave did, he deposited a bunch of USDC, borrowed a huge amount of CRV, and then basically uh, manipulated the price of CRV both up and down. Um, to allow him to borrow a bunch more CRV against his USDC and then uh, uh, pump up the, well, the, the, a bunch of stuff happened. The, the price of CRV pumped because CRV in the middle of the day, while this attack was going on, they released their stablecoin white paper, which caused CRV to pump, uh, which ended up causing Avi to get liquidated. And when he got liquidated, CRV auto sold on the market into a very illiquid market, right? Like there's not a lot of people out there who are willing to buy CRV as, you know, FTX is blowing up and Genesis is potentially filing for bankruptcy and all this stuff is going on that's scary. So liquidity is very thin. And Aave, basically, although it's supposed to be over-collateralized lending, 
if you're liquidating massive positions into an illiquid token, there's a possibility that your liquidation doesn't end up making back the principal. And that's precisely what happened is that Ave ended up with one and a half million dollars of bad debt. Yeah. I mean, f- funny enough, that's actually the excuse that Sam Bankman-Fried gave us yesterday on the Twitter spaces. And actually, I think for one part, he may have been right because, he, he, I mean, when you're operating a leverage exchange and all of a sudden the prices drop down too quickly and your risk systems aren't, aren't set enough, just like Aave, then that's part of it. But, okay, course, let's go to... Happen no, 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 hold on, no, 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 I'm not, no, 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 yeah. Let's, to to oh, be clear, there's let's, no let's, fucking way that that can explain an $8 billion okay. hole. Let's yeah. let's go to let's go to yesterday's let's let's go to yesterday's um uh, uh thing. And I, again, I think I, I want to just for 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 the, the record, space. I say, it was the, it was that, the worst thing that I ever heard. <laughs> okay, so I want to say, say for the record, I want to say for the record that I sit on Udi's camp here, and I want to say that I think we had the biggest opportunity of our lives on this new media that was not controlled by mainstream to go out there and really be crypto native and ask SBF crypto native questions that people like Andrew Ross Sorkin and all the others couldn't have asked him and didn't have the technical knowledge to ask him. And I think that unfortunately, you know, it wasn't our spaces. I was just asked to be one of the speakers, but unfortunately some of the other speakers felt that they wanted to put him on trial um, and interrogate him like a lawyer where I thought probably a conversation was probably a much better way. And of not a very good lawyer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think it was, I think it was super embarrassing, but I do think that there were one or two parts where we scored some victories. I think this was one of them. So, well, hold on. Guys, do you mind if I go back to just the beginning and just said on the on the exchange there were spot positions and there were margin positions, but at some point the exchange ran completely out of funds. What happened to the users that had spot positions on the exchange? Because they shouldn't have been leveraged, right? So I. Uh... Uh, so there are a few answers to that. The first is that there were a number of withdrawals um, that did happen on the exchange. It is not the case that all of the funds uh, were not available. I think we processed, I want to say something like $6 billion of um, of withdrawals over you know a few-day period. And so uh, part of the answer to that question is... Um, that they were, uh, you know, a lot of those withdrawals were processed prior um, to uh, to reaching the peak of the liquidity crisis and prior to um, you know, withdrawals being effectively halted. Um, there are, uh, I think, a, a bunch of other things going on as well there, um, some of which I'm still digging into, some of which I'm still piecing together. But Sam, um, let, me, but, let me just... Uh, but, let but me yeah, just... worth noting that, like, let, yep. me, let me just ask you a, a very simple question. If I'm a user of FTX, I deposited yep. one Bitcoin into FTX on spot. I'm not a leverage trader. I just day-to-day use the leverage exchange. I'm right. just trying to understand where my Bitcoin is today. I'm, I'm, just a little bit of clarity of that. Was, was that Bitcoin notional Bitcoin on the exchange, but the money sitting on Alameda? Was my Bitcoin used as somebody else's collateral without my my permission. I'm just, I think, let's separate the discussion between spot uh, and futures. On, on futures, I understand that there could have been potentially maybe a margin mismatch. And I hear you, and I'm going to give you the benefit of a doubt because I think you're, I think, you know, we had some good interactions and I don't believe that you're an evil, evil person. But I'm just like, just wondering about the spot exchange. Um, and that's people that, 
you know, didn't give anybody permission to use their money, but that money is no longer there anymore, right? So I'm just wondering, like, where that money could be. Right. One piece of this is that um, in the uh, in those few days uh, following the collapse, we processed about six billion dollars of uh, of withdrawals, and uh, those withdrawals in general were from a variety of sources. Is coming from uh, uh, from you know futures positions, from margin positions that were open, um, and that meant that. Uh, uh, that there was not a clear um, uh, that 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 effectively, I think, um, broke down some of that distinction between the two sources. Again, I'm trying to uh, you know I'm I'm trying to piece together all of what happened, and I don't have access um, to uh, you know to put all of it together right now. Um, but my best guess is that that was at least uh, a significant part of it. So, so just, the, the hot wallets between futures and spot were co-mingled. So, Why yeah. are we just allowing? Yeah. Yeah. So it's it sounds the, like the the, the hot wallets between futures and spot were those were co-mingled, right? Uh, that's right. Yeah. In general, balances were treated as effectively fungible with each other. Okay. No, wait. I just want to just with that in mind. I just want to try and understand something. So I put money on i want to deposit money into ftx i deposit money into silvergate bank which is united states bank i put the money into the into the bank that money lands up in alameda's bank account right so now now you've got let's say i take a hundred dollars i deposit a hundred dollars into ftx but what i actually do is i'm depositing into silvergate's account on alameda and the account name is alameda so now alameda has a hundred dollars of my money and then i want to buy a bitcoin for a let's say i put twenty thousand dollars in and i want to buy a full bitcoin the money is right. Tell me where the money is sitting now, though, because this, this is the part that I'm confused about. Yeah, uh, I'm not surprised you're confused because it's confusing, and uh, and it confused me. And uh, there were a lot of poor decisions made there um, on on our part. Um, my understanding, and again, I'm I'm not a hundred percent confident in all this. I am still trying to piece together all of this again without access to data in retrospect but um, but my my general understanding is that and, and and here you're referring i think to the you know especially the sort of 2019 2020 era um where there were no ftx bank accounts but where some customers were wiring straight to alameda research yeah, i'm just um, trying to i'm trying to work it, out if the money yeah, ever left alameda and totally. was stored in a custodian somewhere else which really represented a balance on the exchange or whether there was a money deposit into alameda which we'll talk about in a second and then you just gave me a notional balance on FTX, which was just a digital number on the screen. And you let me use that money to trade potentially notional Bitcoin because actually I didn't have physical balance on the, the exchange because the money was sitting in an Alameda account. That's the part that I'm, that, that I'm trying to understand. Right. That would make sense as to why Alameda had yep. so much money to invest in projects and FTX didn't have any money to pay out to customers, right? Yeah, so I believe that was part of the story. And and again, I, I'm not 100%. So, I mean, look, I think the Twitter spaces itself was, was like, it, was, it wasn't great. Um, that question was good. That, that was that good. Gave us, gave us something, some insight that, I mean, you know, if any prosecutor he, hears that. And, and the irony is that 
he has said multiple times that he's speaking against the advice of his lawyers. This is an American citizen speaking against the advice of his lawyers, pretty much incriminating himself. I mean, I don't, I don't see any other way to, to, to see it. I mean, what do you guys think? It seems like Sam uh, really misses being a part of the conversation. That seems like the best explanation I can have. Like, I guarantee you any criminal lawyer who is working with Sam is like, shut the fuck up. Why are you still talking? He's, he's had, I think, three lawyers now that have dropped him. And at, the, at this point, um, there was somebody who posted on, on Twitter that apparently, like, nobody knows who his lawyer is anymore, um, So, which, which doesn't surprise me. That being said, I, like, there's a part of me that also thinks that, like, Sam, um, part of what you're looking at right now is, like, okay, Everybody has been contemplating that Sam is like some 11 dimensional chess player and like he's thought it all through and he's like, he's seen all the way to the end game and seeing what he's doing now. It's like, guys, I don't think that's true. <laughs> I, <laughs> think, I, I think he's just being impulsive. I, just listen. I, uh, oh, sorry. What, just listen to this. What are your lawyers telling you right now? Uh, are, are they suggesting this is a good idea for you to be speaking? Uh, no, they are very much not. Um, uh, and... Uh, I mean, you know, the classic advice, right? Don't say anything, uh, you know, recede into a hole. Uh, and it's not who I am. I mean, it's not who I want to be. I don't have, I, I think I have a duty to talk to people. I have a duty to explain what happened. And I think I have a duty to do everything I can to try and do what's right. If there is anything I can do to, to try and help customers out here. And uh, I don't see what good is accomplished by me just sitting locked, uh, you know, it, it, you know, in a room pretending the outside world doesn't exist. He doesn't see the good of, of shutting himself, shutting the hell up. Yeah, I, uh, this is being copied from a couple of tweets I've seen, but I, I think that he's made the calculated decision in the past to be what is he called like this 11 dimensional chess player. No one understands what I'm doing. I'm a god. And now he's, you know, the the scolded child trying to play like nice, like you know, I'm so sorry. Like, I have no idea. Like, how do you have no idea? Right. <laughs> like, it, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, like all the answers are four to five sentence hedged answers that don't make any sense and completely go a different route. Right. Like if you're the leader of a fund or a project or anything, you know exactly what is going on at all times. There's no way this guy didn't know that Alameda money was used on or sorry, that FTX money was used on Alameda or that FTX people didn't have the money itself. It just doesn't make any sense. Rudy, I know you said it was an abomination of a Twitter spaces. Like any, 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 any further thoughts on SBF? You know, I think um, what he seems to be doing, like there, the one point that you pressed on is the, is the important point that everyone should press on every single time, which is simply what happened to customer funds. He seems to try to make the point that, well, you know, it's a, we mismanaged risk and things blew up, but that that just shouldn't happen. So what what you know, it, when you're on an exchange and there, you might be taking risk, for example, when you take a position on a on a future product or on a perpetual future, um, you you actually there are two kind of risks risks that you take on. One is, you know. The, the the price goes against against you and you lose money that way and the other type of risk is actually that price goes in your direction and you you were right but the exchange eventually can't pay out because you were so right so quickly that the other side just can't pay because they don't have the money 
Um, that theoretically can happen. It rarely ever happens. And, and, and um, derivative exchanges have so-called insurance funds to pay out when, when it does rarely happen. It can happen. Um, and that's a risk you take when you take a position like that. But when you don't take any position, when your funds are just sitting there and you're not in any position, you, you shouldn't be exposed to, to, the, to the matching engine. You shouldn't be exposed to risk management. You shouldn't be exposed to any of that. That just okay. shouldn't, shouldn't concern you. So when Sam is saying, well, look, uh, the market moved against us. We didn't foresee that. It, it was more violent than we expected. That's great. That should, you know, that might affect some active traders. It shouldn't affect in any way people who just had funds at risk. So look, I'm, I'm going to say that, uh, look, I wasn't smart enough to ask that question myself. It was actually a question that Eric Wall sent me and said, hey, ask, ask him this question. I was, I was never smart enough to ask a question like that. I, I want to make it. Very, very, very clear for the record. Okay, so now the, the date is uh, 2nd of December, 2024. Solana is definitely a top 20 coin, as per you guys. Is SPF in jail? No. No. Uh, Tom, we're really? losing... Oh, Tom, you're muted. Uh, you're sorry. Muted. Um, I think... Wait, sorry. So a year from today? Two. What was the date? Two years. Two years from today. I think he is in custody. I don't think he's convicted. Ready? And I don't, I don't even want to answer that. I don't know. <laughs> look, look, just, I don't just want to for, speculate on people's context. freedom. I don't no, know. No. Just I, for I think context, the Netflix okay? documentary comes out first. Yeah, look. Yeah, Netflix documentary <laughs> way earlier. I'd say within a couple yeah. months. But uh, Elizabeth Holmes was just sentenced mm. uh, a, 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 like a week ago. Yep. Um, and that was six years after the Theranos fraud was uncovered. So it takes a long, 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 long time for anything like this to happen. And, and to be clear, what Elizabeth Holmes was convicted for was not for creating fraudulent medical technology and selling it to people and potentially killing people, right? What she was convicted for was lying to investors. That's a good point. And that's very likely. That's very likely what Sam will also be got for, right? Because look, he claims that he doesn't know what happened. It was a mistake. If you want to convict somebody on a criminal trial, you have to prove intent. You have to prove mens rea. You have to prove they knew that they were doing something criminal. Making a mistake is not sufficient to put somebody in jail for that, but it's very easy to prove that he lied to investors. That's why he's not on this narrative of, I've made a mistake and we made That's many That's right. Mistakes. I didn't know. Yeah, I don't remember. What do you guys think happens with Caroline? That's a, that's a tougher question. Like, I that's think, what I want to know. Does she flip? Or does she catch her? Or I think Caroline disappears into the ether and she comes in and says, hey, I was only appointed CEO of Alameda very recently and, and, and she just disappears and we never hear from her again, to be honest. I, I think what happens is, I think order of events is Caroline flips or disappears and we, we know. I think the Netflix documentary comes out, probably a bad Amazon Prime follow-up documentary. And then I think we get uh, the feds or somebody moving on him and, and the court case starts. But I'm with Steve. I don't think he gets convicted for five years. Which movie comes out first? The bad Amazon documentary or the one on, <laughs> the one on Pornhub, which is man fucks in time and open? Here's the one thing I will say about Caroline is that I think Caroline, out of, out of everybody involved here, like everybody in the polycule, Caroline probably has the strongest case. Because Caroline can say, like, look, I don't know what was going on at FTX. I didn't work at FTX. I worked for this market-making firm. I was CEO. We took out a loan. I don't know where the loan came from. I didn't know what was happening at FTX. I, I didn't have any visibility into that. Um, I gave some FTT. It was, you know, we marked it to market. They gave Your me Honor, cash. Your Honor, uh, Your Honor, she accepted 
money that came from her bank account via her bank account to credit funds. Yeah, so that, none of that, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's possible we'll learn a lot more about this in Discovery. Yeah. But um, I, I think, I think um, of everybody, like everybody at FTX who's part of the central group, right? Like Gary, Nishad, all these guys, I think all of them are going to get the same treatment. Um, but Caroline most likely has the strongest defense because she can claim, I never worked at FTX. I didn't know what was happening there. Yeah. So, I mean, look, there's one or two good things and one or two bad things. And I, mean, I, I want to say good, bad in the context of what happened. Nothing is good. But, you know, the one thing is that we're now getting Bitcoin off exchanges, which is I think people have woken up to, to self-custody. But the biggest drawdown in Bitcoin. Now, to me, that's look, I hate to say it's a positive, but I think that's what crypto was created for and not to leave it in the hands of centralized players. And I liked seeing this. I hated why, but I like the picture here. Um, the second thing that I really liked was seeing that the DEX volume relative to sex volume, the, de the DEX volume is starting to go up. So people are starting to trade more decentralized. The one thing that really scared me, though, was look at Binance's market share after the FTX collapse. So it seems like Binance absorbed more of the market share. And now we're in a position where I love CZ. I love Binance. I think it's a great business. Love CZ. Great visionary. Amazing entrepreneur. Good friend of our station. But I don't know, I'm starting to feel a little bit uncomfortable that like you got one player who has so much of the industry and, you know, if it was a highly regulated player in the United States, I would feel uncomfortable. But Binance is a company which is, you know, kind of everywhere. And it, like, again, I, I love Binance. I love CZ, but I just, I feel uncomfortable that in a decentralized world, you have one very centralized player. And the centralized player seems to have scored the most points as a result of the collapse of the biggest competitor that they had or something like that. You know, back in 2014, well, when, when Mt. Gox blew up, um, Mt. Gox back then was the dominant exchange. I think it was like 80% of volume or whatever, um, by far the, the most dominant exchange. And so kind of the silver lining with Mt. Gox blowing up was that it gave a chance for more healthy ecosystem of exchanges. And, and I agree with you that this time it kind of feels like the opposite. So, so it, mostly probably Binance seems to be the biggest winner here and, and it further solidifies them as the, the kind of king of exchanges, um, which is, yeah, it is a reason to worry. You know, I, I, I don't have anything against Binance, but it's, it's, it's worrying because it becomes more and more of a systemic risk. Tom, yeah. Anytime. Oh, yeah. go ahead, Tom. No, no, see, you're, you're on. Well, what I was going to say, anytime that you have such a violation of trust, you're always going to see a flight to safety. And flight to safety for different people means different things. For some people, it means, okay, move to DeFi. DeFi is safe when centralized exchanges are not. I don't know who else is going to blow, but I know that you know on-chain is okay. Um, it means pulling your assets out of the exchange and moving to a custodian. And it means if you're a trader, if you're a trading firm, moving your assets from these smaller exchanges to the biggest exchange. And if you're in the US, that's Coinbase. If you're global, that's Binance. So anytime that you have a, a breakage of trust like this, it's, it's going to cause consolidation. It's going to cause the strongest players with the strongest balance sheets to, to win more market share. The question um, that you have to ask yourself is like, how long lived is this going to be? Right now, everyone's scared, right? We're, we're worried about DCG. We're worried about Genesis. We're worried about other exchanges. We're waiting for proof of reserves for a bunch of people. Um, when, when this is all in the rearview mirror, there's a good chance that you see some of this market share 
be given back because people are willing to put their money again on some of these riskier exchanges and people are like, look, yeah, that was bad, but people kind of forget about it over time and they go back to their normal ways. Um, but for the, for a while, for like the next few months, um, two, two things that I predict. One is that it's going to be really tough for startups to get users right now because startups need trust. And when trust is very scarce, it's very difficult to attract people and attract new users. Uh, but the second thing is that I think we're going to see the opposite of what Sam was campaigning for. If you remember when Sam was going to the CFTC and he was saying, hey, we've got this great new whiz bang model for doing everything all in a single platform, you know, custody, settlement, clearing, blah, 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 everything all in one. And the CFTC was like, oh, my God, this is going to change everything. This is so terrible. All these Wall Street people were so scared. Now all these Wall Street people are like, oh, thank God, that'll never happen now that FTX exploded. And like the TradFi way of having every single layer of the stack be disaggregated, that is coming to crypto. You're going to have it be the case that you, to trade on Binance, you will not need your funds to sit on Binance, right? Your funds will sit somewhere else with a custodian that's only job is to custody your, for your funds. And Binance will just be the exchange. The same way, you know, when you have your money on the NASDAQ, NASDAQ doesn't have your money. They do the trade execution, they run the matching engine, but they don't have your money, right? And that prevents what happened at FTX, which is someone like Sam reaching in through the exchange, grabbing your money and going running off with it. No trade, you know, the NASDAQ can't do that. NYSE can't do that because of the fact that everything is disaggregated. And so I think you're going to see the same thing happen in crypto. And already I'm seeing a bunch of institutional investors calling for this transition to take place faster than it previously was. Mm. Tom, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm like a mix of a mix of uh, both of you guys right now. Um, I think that I'm, I'm trying to figure out like what would make you comfortable Rand, with Binance, right? Like what, what do you want to see? And I think what I would want to see, and I don't have anything against Binance, but I guess what I would want to see is um, growth in Coinbase, Kraken, growth in Fireblocks, growth in self-custody, like Haseeb mentioned. I think that's pretty big. Then I would also want to see, I don't know, maybe like act the actual regulations come out of the U.S. so that Binance could get comfortable in expanding their U.S. operations, maybe. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe a shift there would be helpful. But I just don't think from CZ's perspective, he wants to become a U.S. company or corporation because, I don't know, if you're <laughs> if you're worth like tens of billions of dollars, you're going to say, you know, hey, come kill me? Like, I don't think anybody's going to say that. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, as I say, I, if for me, it's I'm comfortable in the hands of CZ. I'm just not comfortable in the hands of having too much power in one thing. I mean, it's, it's I probably have some PTSD from, you know, dealing with like too much like I, it's happened to me a couple of times in my life. One is, as you probably all know, Luna was over 50% of my portfolio, my personal portfolio, concentrated risk in one place, got killed. In a previous business of mine, before this, I built and sold one of the biggest or the biggest marketing company in Africa. And we were highly, highly, highly reliant on Vodafone. Vodafone was 60% of our revenue. And I remember the nightmares that I used to have about the fact that you know, there was one, I was reliant on one decision maker, one change in procurement manager, one change in regulation, uh, and 60% of my business would disappear. And just for me, I, I'm much more a diversification man. And, you know, and I love CZ, I love Binance. They're one of our partners. They're one of our sponsors. Um, so I have to say nice things about them. No, I, I mean, I, I said it from, <laughs> yeah, no, they are one of our partners, one of our sponsors. So really cool people. Um, but I do feel uncomfortable that, that the, the, centralized part of this decentralized world is becoming more centralized guys we are absolutely out of time you haven't doctored you haven't uh, you, you're all three portfolio practitioners you haven't even looked at my portfolio which means we're gonna have to do this again and you guys are gonna have to 
we'll do a portfolio practitioner show where you can look at my portfolio and tell me just how crazy I am. Um, but I want to thank you. Thank you on behalf of uh, the fam. Uh, thank you. You're all part of the fam. Thank you so much for coming on, Banta. See you, buddy. Tom, thanks a lot, man. Have fun. Thanks, Pleasure. Hey, thanks. And to the yeah. fam, hold on. I've got a couple of announcements for you guys. So first of all, I love Fridays. As I said, um, it was my best show of the week. Look, and I think it's good to have. We've got some new people on, Tom and Rudy. Rudy's a great addition because uh, I just love his demeanor. I haven't spoken to him for a while, but a great demeanor. Um, remember that this is brought to you by NordVPN. Now, I need you guys to do me a favor. I made a commitment to NordVPN that I would, after the MetaMask thing, get a whole lot of you guys to sign up because I just think it's the right thing to do. And I'm about 100 away from the number that I promised him. So I need you guys to help me. And at the same time, help yourself, protect your crypto and be, and be um, uh, 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 in, uh, anonymous while you're surfing. And just go and pay $3 a month and protect yourself. And at the same time, you're going to help me look good for one of our sponsors. It's really, really, really come a long way. They sponsored the Banter Fridays. They sponsored our coverage of Solana um, in, in Lisbon. They're just all around amazing, amazing people. Um, all you need to do, seriously, 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 all you need to do, just go to the, the, the show, click on amazing, amazing people. Here we go. Just click on here and click on the NordVPN and just take it out. Come on. Three, three. I need, uh, like, it's probably under 100. I need you guys to do me a favor. I'm here bringing you crypto love and crypto wisdom. I worked until four o'clock in the morning yesterday to bring you that show. And I just need you guys to do one thing for me. And that's what I need you guys to do. The other thing is that if um, you want to win one of these portfolios, um, remember I made a portfolio and James made a portfolio. You can download it, the, the links on my Twitter. If you want to win one of these portfolios, instead of giving them all away on Friday, I'm going to start giving them away Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, next week. Now, basically, all you need to do is, is as follows. Go to Bybit or BitGet. So go to our Discord, join our Discord. That's simple. Go to Bybit or BitGet, deposit money into your account. You have to deposit money because a lot of you guys were creating fake accounts with bad emails. Go in, deposit money, um, deposit money uh, into your account. And Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I'm going to give away one portfolio on each day. You can choose whether you want one Rand's portfolio or James' portfolio. We'll just put the money, into, it, we'll just put the portfolio into your account directly. But do me a favor, go to our Discord, join the Discord, then go join the VIP and just put money into your account over the weekend. On Monday, I'm going to start, uh, I'm going to start uh, uh, giving away those port those portfolios. And hey, that means that five people. Oh, we say five or ten. Let's make it 10. 10 people will have an amazing Christmas with a, a whole portfolio. Uh, someone says, yeah, run promoted FTX a lot. Nonsense. In fact, I've said it many, many, many times that we actually didn't promote FTX at all because I didn't like what Sam was doing and, um, and we had a disagreement with him. And I think our lucky angels were actually protecting us. Um, our, lucky, uh, our lucky angels were protecting us. So as I said, I don't ask you guys for, for much. I give of my heart to you guys every single day. I just need you guys to do me a couple of favors. Go and, go and sign up to NordVPN if you haven't done it at the same time. Protect yourself. And then go sign up with like exchange sponsors because they keep the lights on here. See you guys again on... Oh, wait. Tomorrow, there is a school episode dropping. Kyle's doing a show in the morning. Sheldon's doing a show in the afternoon, right? That's yeah. how we did it. So there's, a, there's three shows tomorrow. And then um, Sunday, I may come and do a show for you guys if anything happens. Uh, I'll see you guys again either Sunday or Monday. Until then, have fun. Trade well and look after yourselves, my friends.
was cool, huh?